Broadcasting from occupied Tonga land in Long Beach, California, this is Wait, Why Am I Talking Podcast, a show about local current events with the socialist slant. I'm Jordan, and this is my comrade Vic. Vic, how you doing? What up? What up? How you feeling today? Uh, not awesome, quite frankly, after reading this book. It's a really good book, but it has a lot of, honestly, it's, it's thought-provoking, but it's also really disturbing, you know? Yeah. How about you? Definitely. Uh, I was thinking about it all week long and how to tackle the subjects. This is one of those books that, like, it brings to words, feelings I've had my whole entire life growing up here in this country. Definitely. It also kind of colors the other work I've been doing in the political space and stuff. Like, I hear people say stuff, and then I think of this book, and it's kind of disorienting, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially with who the VP pick and how people react to Camilla Harris. 1,000%. And then we also have Miles on the pod. Hey, Miles, how you doing? Hey, hello. I'm all right. Uh, similar feelings to you. You know, this, once, once you, at least from my experience in my life, once I've learned some different platforms of critique, it's hard to stop seeing that critique uh, and interpreting mm-hmm. different aspects of our culture and different cultural products and interactions through that lens. Um, and yeah, this 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 lens is a very depressing, depressing lens and uh, pretty condemning of like all human interaction. Um, so that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. Um, I don't know that it's significant, like significantly had its negative effect on me because I think I was at a pretty cynical point before reading this in terms of a lot of people's interaction. Um, but it's definitely, definitely important, especially considering, uh, yeah, the um, politics of culture that we've got going on, which hopefully we're going to explore that topic a little bit more as the podcast uh, continues and progresses. Today, we're talking about Afro-Pessimism, a book by Frank B. Wilderson III. I think it only came out last year, right? Yeah, it's pretty recent. Yeah. Actually, it says April 7th, 2020 on Amazon. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is super recent. And he's got a bunch of like very recent like references in the book. You can tell it was written like pretty close to now. But it was written obviously pre-uprising, pre-COVID. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I I'd love to check in on I'm sure he's working on some article or something about that. I, I know that uh when you first mentioned it, Vic, because I didn't have the book initially, I looked I just like searched YouTube and Frank's been going on a whole bunch of podcasts and talking about this topic. Uh I assume just related to the media attention and to promote the book. So yeah, it's recent. Yeah. He also, um, just to give some context, Frank B. Wilderson is the professor and chair of African-American studies at the university of California, Irvine. So right by us, he's written a lot of books and he has like degrees from like four universities. It's kind of insane. He's like an academics academic. That's for sure. Yep. So shall we dive in? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Let's, we could go round table, see what we all think, what Afro-pessimism really is. I think that's key to what like Frank brought to the forefront. Mm -hmm. I think what he's talking about is like the anti-blackness that permeates our whole society from the get-go. This society, I'm talking about like America and America through our media gets like propaganda. Our media turns into propaganda for the rest of the world. 
and for mm-hmm. capitalism just through our movies and TV shows and whatever. So that anti-blackness coming from America, because it was founded on slavery, yeah. changed the way people saw themselves. Yeah. Before slavery, there wasn't this concept of whiteness that had to be the opposite of blackness, which was the slave. And so therefore, if the concept of the slave exists is anti-human, non-human, then white by default is human. And you can't have the human without the human. Like you need the reflection in the mirror to really see yourself and to really actualize that whiteness, the slave needed to be there. And that's the basis, I think, of what Afro-pessimism is. Because this whole thing is all like what I think. It's on some very high-level theory that he even says just came from like the past few years. He was able to put it into words, but through poetry, culture, blues, jazz, this narrative has always been there. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, he himself says it's a it's a meta theory, right? Like he addresses the fact that like it honestly isn't even like totally comprehensive. Exactly. And, like I mean, he says like what like twenty times in the book, like there is no answer to my theory. Like there is no fix. Like it po- it makes a claim, and it has no resolution. Like Marxism, like there is a resolution, right? Yeah. Or like he talks about what's the term he uses? Um, not redemption, right? But like a narrative arc. What does he say? Yeah, the narrative arc. Um, I think I think he talks really like about denouement. Um, a lot of what Frank does is he, I, he provides tons of examples in the text, sort of I think to help the reader just come to an understanding of what in the world he's talking about with Afro pessimism, and he frames it really in terms of the narrative structure. And this is interesting because if his his claim is that every people, every person or, or, or human, right, that's just not a black person, right, they have humanity attached to them. And like one characteristic of having humanity is having access to the narrative, like a historical narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking, basically, that means then if you're a black person under the framework of um, Afro-pessimism, you're denied the narrative structure. Um, from sort of like your being. And that means that you're denied denouement, which is sort of a return to an equilibrium state, or I guess the, the equilibrium state of being a human. But so I, it, it's interesting reading this framework of like talking about humanity and the idea of humanity, because there must, there's definitely at least, I haven't read tons and tons of theorists, but I've read uh, Paulo Freire. And Paulo Freire's assertion uh, in that in that text, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, Paulo Freire asserts that the ruling class and the oppressors, their goal is to deny humanity from those being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And I think that Paulo Freire is taking uh, the perspective, a pretty Marxist economic perspective. And I think that Afro-pessimism is really making this claim that like, and, th- and, and so making this claim that like, no, I mean, foundationally, it's actually like the black and non-black dichotomy, uh, this dichotomous relationship, which then is like being symbolically thrust upon the idea of humanity and mm-hmm. civil society. And so like in order for civic and historical and political pr- 
participation, we, we created and constructed this idea of the human. And like to Vic's point, uh, talking about like, you need this contrast, this dichotomous positive and negative to be there in order for the human identity to even exist. Yeah. Um, which is freaking damning, really damning, especially yeah. for the humanist movement, because it's like, that means that humanism is really the whole tenet of humanism excludes black people completely because they're not considered humans, at least just looking at that one small little ethical framework. Yeah. And it needs to be addressed. And this is like, I've always known that a lot of my rhetorical arguments come back to, well, it's fucking free labor and free land. You know what I mean? Free labor and free land. And it's like a broken record. People that try to get in like arguments and the political arguments with me, like that's the point. And that's when I know it's like, well, what are they willing to engage in? If they're mm-hmm. trying to tell me just to leave that shit behind and we're here now, it's like, well, I can't engage with you because we need to address the free land and the free labor that made this country. And I just, I bring it up a lot of times, this example I've told y'all before. Yeah. I'm a six foot, pretty big black dude, bald head, beard. I could be pretty intimidating, all high, walking down the street, not aware, just like, you know, mean mugging people without even thinking about it. But when I got my four-year-old daughter, I mean, my daughter, when she was born, mm-hmm. I live in like Lakewood, around Lakewood area, and, you know, going to the mall, doing whatever, old white woman would just come right up and ignore me and just put their hands physically on my daughter over and over and over again to the point where I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't understand this. This is so strange. These women would never say anything to me in any other context besides just like, hey, how you doing? And clutch their purse as they walk by. Now they feel like they have the agency to come up to my kid and just touch him. And just violate that, like, you know, her her fucking personal space. And I never understood it until her grandma, who barely graduated high school, lived in this country, African-American, understands this country in ways I could possibly never understand it. And she told me straight up, she's like, you know why. And that's all she had to say. And it went back to stolen land and free labor. That's why. That. Through this context and culturally, they feel like they own my kid. Like they could come right up to my kid and touch my kid and not give me the space of being a human. And they weren't mean. They were being nice. In their head, they were being nice. I never felt like they were doing anything to try to harm me or hurt me. If anything, they were trying to connect with me in their way. But culturally, their way handed down through their families, generation to generation to generation, said it's okay to walk up to a black dude, which you probably never would before, and just touch his kid. And that's that. And microaggression, I don't know what the fuck it is, but it fucked my head up until I had the proper context to be like, why is this keep happening? Why is this new thing happening to me that has never happened to me before in this country? And if it wasn't for this kid and I've had many interactions with these white women out of nowhere, my life probably wouldn't be going well, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> he Wilderson definitely like breaks down that concept. I can see why you found it so illuminating as to why, right? Because you mentioned that they're not um what's the term? They they weren't they didn't mean harm, right? Like they yes. weren't being aggressive towards you. Nope. But he talks about uh negrophobia and negrophilia, and he gives an example, I believe, of um his mother and father are both black and trying to get their really racist neighborhood association, all the, all the white housewives to sign on to the Equal Housing Act. And all the housewives like keep commenting on how his father should be a model, this and that, and dismissing the point of the conversation and just and like pushing his mother out of the way. And he ties it into like the idea of like slave owning and like you you own this person and you like put them you like praise their their beauty and that's how you interact with them so it's kind of like filtered down to today yeah like you praise your dog you know Mm. brush your dog's fur like you know make sure your dog has nice and healthy fur and can interact with all the other dogs yeah it's deep this this is why this book's so upsetting man like it's 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 honestly some really fucked up stuff in here i mean i'm glad i read it and i i'm glad to engage with the material right but i think you can't like go- walk away from this and not just be like disturbed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's disturbing. It's disturbing. And I, I so negrophobia, negrophilia aspect of it. It's, it's, it's sort of representative of a relational dynamic. And I think that this is how Frank describes this type of oppression uh, and why, I, I mean, I agree we need to address it, but I mean, it seems to me like Afro-pessimist claim is that it's irreconcilable. Like it cannot be reconciled because it's it's an, a relational form of oppression that was started and emerged from the master-slave dynamic, which was the human non-human dynamic. Um, and and I think your anecdote, Vic, is like and, spe- and, and like how you contrasted that, right? You talked about yourself as a black man, six foot tall black man walking down the street, right? Where that's like the negrophobic example. Exactly. Right. And then only once you had a child, right? And something that wouldn't be like a locus of negrophobia, right? Then suddenly when you're with your child, which would be a locus of negrophilia, then the behavior completely changed. Yep. Right. The behavior completely changed. But this is still the same relational dynamic. Negrophobia and negrophilia are two aspects of the relational dynamic between human, non-human, master, slave. And yeah, that's a screwed up example. And Frank asserts that this is not a dynamic that is unique to the U.S. too, you know, on an international basis that it exists as well. Yeah, he had an anecdote in there that really drove it home for me. And I could tell it was a aha moment for him. Uh, when one of his friends, who I believe was Palestinian, and they were in Israel and they were like stopped at a checkpoint and they were being checked. And the dude said he was being checked by Israelis. But when an Ethiopian Jew was the one checking him, he felt worse about it. And he even verbalized that to his friend, Frank, a black dude, without even like realizing what he was doing. And that's what, like, that's how this book resonates with me. A lot of the things that's been happening all throughout my life, different anecdotes that I did not have a way to express it besides anger, besides being the pissed off black dude. But I know, I feel it. I know I get a vibe off of people and I know what's going on, but 
fucking 18 years old, pissed off at the world. I don't know how to express it. But I know the world is fucking telling me to go fuck yourself and you ain't shit. Like straight up in subtle ways, microaggressions, you name it, it's there. And this Afro-pessimism is like the underlying current that's always been there and been reproducing itself through the family, through culture, through media, and it's distilled into these feelings. And again, tons of people, black, white, whatever, if you grew up here, you have these internal biases and how you react to them if you're not aware and checking yourself, like, yo, you're just reproducing the same bullshit, man. Like, that's how, I don't know how else to say it. It's like, yo, woke, wake up. Like, it's, it's part of that shit, dude. You got to realize we're not just making decisions because we're smart and we're good people. We're making decisions upon the way we were raised and who raised us and the stuff we fucking put in our heads. Straight up. Yeah. And that's how we act and go around the world. And if we don't constantly decolonize our fucking minds every damn minute, it's a lot of work. And like he said, it probably won't get resolved. He did have a resolution. We just got to stop everything and start from scratch. <laughs> like, that's what he said. <laughs> he was like, yeah. we can. <laughs> but everything changed. Like, no culture, no language, nothing. No labels. Then we start again. It's not, it's not a resolution that fits in any existing framework, that's for sure, you know? And to, to pull up a, a quote here from the book that kind of, like, reinforces that point, Vic, if blacks are completely genocided, humanity would find itself in the same quandary that would occur if black people were recognized and incorporated as human beings. Humanity would cease to exist because it would lose its conceptual coherence, having lost its baseline other. The black is needed to mark the border of human subjectivity. Oh. I mean, that's, that's kind of the base central thesis of the whole book, right? It's like, that's why it's so, it, it upends so much existing ideas, honestly, even about racism, white supremacy, right? It's like, it distills it down from something that's, it's not just hatred, right? It's nah. a way to like regenerate social bonds. Oh. That was the creepiest part to me. It's like, you know, like in popular culture, like, especially liberals be like the KKK and white supremacy and even police brutality or like racism amongst themselves is like a feeling. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this posits like, that's not a feeling or even an action. It is just like a definition built into like what you think of yourself and humanity as. Mm-hmm. It's a premise of historic history and civil society and civic society. So like, yeah, the resolution, as you said, Vic, is nothing. So it would have to be the end, the end of history, the end of yeah. our civilization, a complete mm-hmm. collapse. Um, yeah, it's it's a shocking sort of fra- it's a shocking framework, shocking revelation. It's this whole shit is just tough to talk about. We're not even talking over ourselves. We're just fucking being really just deliberate with how we're doing it. But this is the type of subject. I don't know any other way to go about it, honestly. Yep. You know, well, I'll be honest, Vic, at reading the book, it made me uncomfortable in the fact that and again, he talks about in the book like obviously that doesn't matter. It's not like a lot of there, he gives examples of white people and, and non-white people trying to criticize this book based on how it makes them feel. Um, and he he breaks down why, like, if you're to criticize my argument, don't talk about how you feel. Talk about like the actual argument. But like he intentionally, I, I think, like makes it uncomfortable in the fact that like it, it eats into all of us, right? It is inside me. It is inside Miles. It is inside you. Mm-hmm. It's not a relationship, like I said, a feeling. It is a. It is just there. If you're here, 
it's there in you. You know what I mean? It's like that universal. Yeah. So I'm a leftist. I'm a socialist. In my life, I think I, I do certain things that honestly push back against the racist power structure. But like, I still, there's no way for me to not be part of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Unless yep. you're an alien outside and then implanted here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're other. Other. That's that's the thing. You know, there's no way. There's no way. If you're in, inside the historical narrative of humanity, there's no way to combat it. And the subjugation. And no matter what form it is, it's still a form of otherism, of putting down. And I, I say it all the time. Let's look at the stats. Look how many black folks were in slavery back in the day. Millions upon millions, straight up slavery. Now we go current times. Look at the black folks in jail compared to the general population. All done at the hand of the fucking state. You know, it's not slavery. But interacting with the state on a general level seems to leave black people in a place without fucking freedom. Oh, shit. Is, am I talking about slavery? Am I talking about current times? It doesn't matter. And that's the whole point of this book is that if you have this system that keeps going on, it's going to repeat itself. And another point he brings up is like this whole thing, the reason why a lot of these videos killing black people by the cops go viral is not because people are seeking, like looking at it injustice and that's what's drawing them in. No, no, no. They're looking at it as like, yep, that's how it's supposed to be. The state reproducing violence again and again and again and again against these others, because for the whole thing to exist, this violence against the others has to be repeated. It can't just be done once. It can't just be done once. It has to be repeated, repeated. You can't just have like slaves that work back there and you're cool with them and they're cool with you. No, you got to go down there and subjugate them, bring the fear to their ass, make them work hard, take their kids, rape their kids, separate their families, do whatever the fuck you want to do with them just to make the whole system go. Not even to be bad to the slaves, just to make the whole system go. That's what it entails. So the cruelty against these others has to happen again and again. It's built into the system. And that's why nothing happens when fucking, they killed George Floyd, a fucking cop on his goddamn, put his knee on his neck for eight minutes, for eight minutes. And we are so used to seeing this violence against black folks that we just, we just watched it. Just literally just watched it. People just watched it. You think, if that's a 12-year-old white girl, we would have just watched that shit just happen? Watch that cop just kill that white girl? Or even that fucking Indian girl? Or even a fucking Mexican girl? And that's the rub that that shit would have been different if it was. But because it was a black dude, oh, that's the state violence that needs to happen. And it just, it's built in. Well, like, he talks about, like, this, this social death of black people is necessary for the, the civic rejuvenation of our society which uh and the fact that like like you said with that example vic and earlier with the example of his palestinian friend like this is what also keeps like there is in his hierarchy white people and then white people's junior partners which is non-black people of color um yeah i i feel like a lot of the black lives matter movement has been trying to make the distinction 
especially lately, honestly, more than usual between the black people and people of color that aren't black. And, and Wilderson says like that, that social death and violence against black people is needed to keep the junior partners of white people, not happy, but like give them definition like, Oh, well, I'm not black. I'm not this. Like I, exactly. I, I fit to this system. Yeah. The definition, like the way the Irish come over here and they're Irish, but they're here now. Oh, I'm white. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. I want to touch back on what you were talking about, Vic, how like constantly enslavement is, is not an initial violence to institute the economic system or, or the system of, of slavery because, uh, and I said economic system, but that's an oversimplification because clearly it was a relational system between master and slave. And if it was just an economic system, maybe we'd be able to abolish it completely or it would have been abolished with the Emancipation Proclamation, but it wasn't. Um, And Frank makes an analysis, a critique, which um, makes a lot of sense. With the transition to capitalism, there was the initial sort of violence to set up the capitalist system, the industrial system, Um, but that, that didn't need to be repeated. Once it became sort of hegemonic, there wasn't the necessity to continue to have the violence to reinforce the system. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the slavery system, like we were talking about, was that constant reinforcement. It was baked into the relational dynamics of the power holders versus the people that didn't have the power holders. Um, and, and yeah, talking about like civic renewal, there's also a dimension that Frank, uh, to get to your point, uh, Jordan, the civic rejuvenation, et cetera, uh, point. Um, Frank talks about a dynamic wherein it's basically a satisfaction of the sadomasochistic fantasies of everybody else. Um, and for those, uh, he uses examples, I don't know from what narrative, but pretty much rape examples and, uh, from actual enslavement times. I, I don't, I didn't read the literature that he was referring to or the narratives he was talking about. 12 years a slave. Ah, yes, yes, yes. 12 years a slave. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, did y'all ever see that one? No, I did not. I did not. I stayed away from a lot of those like slave narratives and shit. But what made you want to stay away from them? What? It's just like I thought, all right, this is what happened. I get it. I understand. You know, I read books. I do podcasts with leftists. I get it. You know, but yeah, I you know, and. This whole thing is like, he keeps referring to it. I'm just like, what the fuck? And he refers to the movie and the book. It's not like he's like, yo, fuck the movie. It's about the, no, he refers to them both. And those works of art used to be like, for me, it's like, yeah, I get like, it's enough black people suffering. I understand what it is. And again, obviously not having this, I don't even know what to call it, a frame of reference, a system, the way to think about it with Afro pessimism. Mm -hmm is gives me a different light when I'm going into media and looking at it. It's like another level of critique that I bring into it. That's beyond Marxist. Like he's <laughs> like post-Marxist or some shit. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have, a, I had a different experience with slave narratives and, and literature written by former slaves. Um, because I, I don't, I, it feels like, um, black people sort of have, you have to experience this, the traumatic end of the relationship. Whereas I think as a white, especially a white man, um, you know, we learned about slavery. We learned about the transatlantic slave trade, but it's very much so we learned it was economic, right? That's the motivation. 
if that makes sense. Um, so to be honest, I don't think me personally, I really understood what was being talked about. And maybe I still don't understand it, but I had a very poor understanding of slavery and enslavement um, that was really shitty uh, for like as a result of our, our public education in the United States. But I think that when I read some slave narratives and some abolitionist literature, mm. I began to understand it a little bit better. Um, and that, that's super depressing too. Those narratives are not easy to read. Um, but I, but I think like part of white privilege and, and part of people not being woke and sort of, you know, the, the old ladies coming up and, you know, fetishizing your daughter or being afraid of you. Um, I think that's in part because white people benefit from the relationship. We have no incentive to learn about what slavery really was. Um, so for me, it actually was really important to read those slave narratives and read uh, abolitionist literature. No doubt, no doubt. Well, it's funny you two say that because he specifically calls out the fact that those narratives feed into this system and help support it because they, it's kind of hard to state, he states it better than me, but like, he basically says that they don't go far enough. They don't ask. They like ah. present the narrative, but they have to make it make sense as a narrative. And his one of his core things is that violence against black people doesn't make sense by definition. He gives a very long, like half the book is an example of him getting fucking radiation poisoning from an angry neighbor, and it ties into all this other shit. But and it doesn't. Make it doesn't sense. make. It doesn't make any fucking no, sense, dude. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's his point. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He he said in it, he's like, this is not going to make sense to non-black people reading this. But if you're black and you're reading this, it's going to make sense to you. Yeah. Straight up. And uh, how do you pronounce it? Filial relationship? Uh-huh. And how where, how that gets taught in families. Uh, to go back to the radiation poisoning, neighbors that weren't ever cool with each other, as soon as a black dude, there was a confrontation with a black dude, those two neighbors were interlocked as if they've always been great friends (laughs) and it's like whoa and he was even taken back i was like ah come on frank and even i know that well i guess he wrote that back (laughs) in the seven you know what i mean yeah and it's like how history changes things to be like well i seen that but like he was back in the 70s and like you know early 80s writing some of this stuff still calling the cops and going to fbi interviews talking about like we need your help you know so like Seeing it with the benefit of time, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, mm-hmm. looking back mm-hmm. at certain things to be like, oh, I know exactly what that was, but I did not know all that shit gets taught in the family. Those people got taught by their parents how to interact with black folks, and that is the rub of it all. Which I didn't know. Like, yeah, I thought you know society and the media we consume, but a lot of like the straight up teaching about how to be with other people is interactions with Mm -hmm. your kid straight up Uh uh-huh and like i saw somebody walking down i think they had like a it looked like a dsa shirt or some shit so i'm driving my kid is in the back and i'm sort of craning my neck and doing a double take to be like wow is that a dsa shirt i never seen that person before and it was a woman and my daughter's like hey dad do you like that girl so just by the way I'm looking at somebody else. She's learning how I interact with people. And it's that base. It's that base. 
and from the family, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's at every level, too, though, of the society, right? The civic society, because he brings up the uh, historical circumstance around the Weatherman's confrontation with the state, with the federal state, and represents how white members of the Weathermen, uh, basically a liberation radical group in the 60s and 70s, um, they get in their trial this filial narrative of where if you're not a black person and you transget- transgress the laws of society, it's just a transgression, right? There's always this redemptive arc that you can fulfill. You're a wayward son, you're a wayward daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but even if you're killed or put in prison, Dylan yeah, Roof kill you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but it's denied for black people, right? It's if you're black, you're completely denied that filial relationship because you are the other. Uh, and what you're saying, Jordan, uh, if I'm reading Frank right, everything in our culture is part of the system. Even our conversation and discourse right here is part of it. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's. To me, to me, that's why it's so hard to it's part of why it's so hard to read and apply is because it is a, it is a very hopeless sort of interpretation, because if everything, all the symbology that we're used to and all the relationships that we're used to are part of that, you know, that's that's a tough cookie. It's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And like now. What do we do with it? Because. A lot of this. I'm just understanding and just being on the left and, you know, looking into these subjects deeper is what do you do with that information? A lot of times there's nothing we could do with that information, but just being aware of it Uh makes me, I think it informs me to be a better person and makes my relationships stronger because I know that like, yo, this thing exists amongst us and we should probably talk about it. And that's why in all my rhetorical arguments, I always come back to my friends. It's like, yo, Free land, free labor. If we can't talk about that openly, then we're not going to talk about anything else. Like, we need to discuss that. And while I was pushing to discuss that and what their thoughts were and how they would address it, I still didn't know how powerful by bringing it back to that argument. Like, it's Mm -hmm. slavery, but it's not slavery. It's the other outside of human, which is a lot, it's a harder concept to get around and then to argue from you know what i mean to be like no 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 this is what i mean it's coming from the outside that's why he was like it's like an argument on an argument it's like a meta argument yeah and that's that's part of the thing that makes it so difficult to grapple with and i mean if you're listening to this and you're confused like yeah welcome (laughs) to the party like (laughs) i genuinely would recommend like listening to the book or reading it because like when i say it's difficult subject matter like it it's if I see why he wrote this as a narrative, because if he wrote this as just a theory or he calls it, what was the term he used? It's like, it's, it's narrative and like analysis. Um, if it was just analysis, this would be fucking, this would be like harder than like people's history of the United States. Like it'd be so difficult, but the way he ties it into the narrative, like he breaks down these really complicated concepts with like stories of his life, which make it much easier to understand and engage with better than I think we can like, convey over a one-hour podcast, you know? Yeah, and yeah, that's right. those stories, shit. Fuck. Every fucking black person I know has those stories. I could go back from when I was a kid, some of my earliest memories 
weird microaggressions and weird fucking mm. interactions. What the fuck was that? I don't know. That's so weird. That's so strange. But boiling it down to be like, oh, this is what this is what was going on in their heads. And again, not knowing it, not trying to cause me harm, not trying to be malicious, but just the being in this society and the status that you have from histor- from history led us yeah. to here, but they are unaware of it and just operating. Well, he talks about in the book, like he's like these stories, like the examples I'm giving and narratives like don't make narrative sense because black violence doesn't make sense. But he specifically, I think it has a point where he says like, I mean, you just said it, Vic, like black people do understand it because you they experience it. Did you have that feeling of like reading this and being like, I mean, you said it a little bit, but like, did you have that, that feeling of like, okay, I, I can relate to this feeling of like it, it not making sense to other people. Oh like, yeah. I can't explain yeah. this. Oh yeah. Know? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh-huh. All the time. That, like, mm. I think part of why I'm even on the left and organizing is to try to formulate these thoughts and to try to understand it. Mm. And this current social movement, and to bring it back to BLM, they understand that this fundamental anti-blackness is so key to oppressing all of us. All of us. Mm. That when they say black lives matter, it's really because all lives can't matter until black lives matter. So all those dumb fucks who want to say, well, all lives, well, whoa, you can't. You literally can't say that. Because you know why? Free land and stolen labor. Like, you know what I mean? Like, address that. Address that and how that could be reconciled, not only through material needs, but also through like psychic and cultural fucking reparations. Like how the fuck do you do, you know what I mean? Like if you're not addressing that, then guess what? You can't even say all lives matter. You, Cause you're skipping over black lives matter. And then now we're back in the same place again. You know, so it's just like, and it's even difficult. Okay, great example. We were doing that Cindy Allen action, right? We were Cindy Allen action and we were debating about the fucking the messaging, the messaging. And one of our comrades was like, yo, we need to put Black Lives Matter up there. And we were pushing back. It's like, well, it's not really part of what we're doing. It's like, no, it's fundamental to what we're doing. We can't do anything until we address that Black Lives Matter. So no matter what we do, we should always, to the core, say that Black Lives Matter. And we ended up doing it. But now looking back, that was obviously the right call to do because that's the whole thing. And that's what Frank addresses, and that's what BLM gets, and that's what I got afterwards. It's like, yo, this anti-blackness needs to go away for all of us to be okay. And I think there are fucking 22-year-old white kids out there that understand that shit. Because I'm out there in these protests, and the way they say it, and the interactions I'm having with them, it's a way different level of understanding. And it's... So not even cringe to hear a young white person to be like, yo, black lives matter. And like yell that shit at me and say it to me and be like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh shit. I didn't realize how much you were right, but you're right. And they're saying it to be like, yo, yeah, I get it. My parents don't get it, but I get it. And shit is going to change. Hopefully. But that's what I've been seeing in this current social movement. A lot of that going on. A lot of younger people understanding that black lives matter and why black lives need to matter before we could even move forward in anything. Nothing could be nothing, nothing. We can't move forward on shit until we address that black lives matter here.
you bring up a very interesting point, Vic, and maybe let's talk a little bit about what he talks about with the relationship between this theory and leftist organizing. Mm. Um, he gives an example of where he goes to Denmark with a bunch of leftist, does a workshop with leftist organizers in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as compared to the one in Germany with a bunch of academics that goes really badly. Yeah. Um, but basically he says, many of those who attended the Denmark workshop had read very little about Afro-pessimism. They were hard scrabble organizers, many of whom had seen Denmark's state violence up close. This had made them open to a deeper theorization of that violence. Even if they learn, even if what they learned shattered their previously held ideas about the structure, not simply the performance of that violence, more to the point on the foundation of which their organizing was based. Hmm. Wow. Which is one of the challenging things to read this as a leftist, and he critiques Marxism several times too, is it's like, like he literally explicitly states that you, multiracial coalitions are pointless he's like this the oppression of black people is different than the oppression of asian people and the oppression of white people economically and like it just you can't build a coalition around it he basically says mm -hmm. your point about like the having to free black people first i think is an interesting not solution to his theory but like way to engage with it because that's kind of his point right is like it's not to say that like no leftist organizing is possible along lines of race but that if you don't center the right. oppression of yeah. black people, you cannot, that nut can never even begin to crack. You're just replicating yes. the structure. Yes. Uh-huh. And like, that's why in BLM meetings, like, yeah, BLM, to be a quote-unquote BLM member, you got to be black. But we'll work with anybody who's a co-conspirator, meaning that you're down for the cause and you understand that we're centering blackness. Mm -hmm. And it's just, even as I say it, it sounds a little weird because we're fucking growing up. We grew up in this society that was built on the backs of black folks on the suffering. And it still, still is. Still is. Right, exactly. Still is. And then to be like, well, the, 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 the first step to the fix is fighting that anti-blackness. And we have to coalesce as different cultural and racial groups around anti-blackness. You know? And I think that's what BLM is doing. And I believe that's why they've had so much success because they bring other folks in, but everyone needs to realize it coming, it's coming from like, yo, we have to fight anti-blackness. Definitely. Um, <laughs> so much for this book. We could do for like five days. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of like what the, the central theses are in the book and like what it are like analysis of it. Is there anything else we want to say on it? Yeah. Like, this part, assuming the premise and framework of Afro pre uh, assuming the premise and framework of Afro pessimism, what the hell does this mean for DSA Long Beach? Yep. That what mean? the hell does this mean for DSA Long Beach? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Frank's Frank's premise that it's relational means that it's a psychological battle at the individual and social level and community level. Um, definitely. Everything we're talking about, centering black lives, T to me, right? You know, this is my feelings. Um, and, in you, you know, it, Frank identifies so much institutionality to it, uh, from my perspective. It's on a personal, psychological level, but also at this institutional level. And at least in the circumstances of the United States, um, to sh like what shows me how pervasive it really was is 
you know, the United States couldn't actually completely abolish slavery. They still needed to have it on the books. It's still on the books. Um, so, I mean, at least looking at some tangible stuff that we can grasp and target, uh-huh. uh, that to me is a decent target. You know, at, at least I think hopefully that coming off the books, for example, of uh, our government's laws um, could be some progress. If you're looking at it from a revolutionary framework, hopefully you can center Black Lives Matter um and then, you know, revolutionary framework predicates the end of the institution. Hopefully, whatever institution would be born out of that would very consciously try to avoid that kind of relational dynamic in the society. Um, but yeah, for for DSA Long Beach, I don't know. I, I We keep working with BLM. We keep centering Black lives. Um, we keep going for abolition and defunding of the police. Uh, cause at least then that takes away the mechanism of state violence or it weakens the mechanism mm-hmm. of state violence. Taking away uh, the tools. Yeah. Taking mm-hmm. away the tools because the psychological and cultural fight to me, that's going to be a much tougher win. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting point to split the two a little bit because psychologically, man, I don't fucking like, he literally says in the book, like in a critique of one of those movies of like, how leftist co-conspirators, even them, like when they're hauled in to be dealt with by like white society, they are filial family relations there. Like it is mm-hmm. redemptive yep. narrative. It's like our fighting back against the system actually supports the system yep. in ways I, it's hard to explain. It's better explained in the book, but like basically that supports the system. So I think psychologically, I'm gonna be hundred percent real. I don't fucking know. I have no idea. <laughs> not even a fucking clue yeah that's something i'm gonna have to think on a lot more and use and and he says like it's something you can't just like do it's something you have to like grasp with and struggle with mm-hmm. but in terms of like like you said societally i mean i think taking away tools of state power like the police is a good step but i don't think it it resolves the base problem and unfortunately there's that's a bigger conversation you know mm-hmm well, the way to fix it at DSA Long Beach is to get rid of DSA Long Beach, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh-huh. Like, abolish the state, DSA Long Beach society, the concept of humanity. Like, there that's tough. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even <laughs> think about that? Like, what is, you know? Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say, like, what we did, just the land acknowledgement and saying Black Lives Matter at the beginning of all meetings. You know? Like, we are decolonizing yeah. that space. Or trying to. And I think that's really powerful. Because I remember the first time uh, we did the Greater Long Beach Mutual Aid Network. And someone was like, yo, we need to do a land land acknowledgement. I'm like, the fuck land acknowledgement? I've never even heard that in leftist space before. Like, what? And yeah, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, respect our others and let's do it. And then we started doing it. And then we had to research to be like, oh. White tribes were here in Long Beach. And then we found out it was the Tangwa. And then we realized, oh, there's another tribe that was here. It's contested. And that just put in our framework to be like, shit, we're not the beginning of this. So when we start meetings and say that land acknowledgement and Black Lives Matter, I think it's a tiny, tiny, minuscule step to fight Afro-pessimism and this baked-in fucking cruelty and anti-humanness that's built into this whole thing yeah i want to bring up a claim Mm -hmm. because we are talking about decolonizing and decolonizing is a pretty 
big part of left of space and we talk about it. But Frank does make a distinction between yes. colonization and sort of that construct uh, because I think the main argument is that it's like it can be historically contextualized. Like there was control over this geographic region by some people, some group of people, um, and then it was seized. And so sort of the denouement or resolution to that sort of narrative of that people, they have this sort of for goal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which would be re reclamation of that land. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm just bringing this up because I feel like really we're not talking about decolonization. We're talking about something else. And psychologically, I guess, is the point uh, I'm trying uh, I'm trying to make or maybe would be the point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, totally. like this, this psyche, this psychological construct, it's not the one of the colonizer. It's something different. I think that's a pretty big part of Frank's claims, um, which I get, which to me is like, we need to de relation, like deconstruct the relational dynamic of slave and master in our brains, yeah. but that doesn't have the same ring as decolonization, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. And <clears throat> That's how you know a concept is so tough that like, because I don't so think new. I have so new. I don't have all the words. You're right because it's not decolonization, but that's the only concept mm -hmm. I have in my head to even right. sort of begin to describe what I'm talking about, and it doesn't even really address that. Yeah. So you're right. Like I don't even know what it is. It's like, yeah, yeah, and it's well, we might need to coin a term. Yeah. First thing. Uh huh. No doubt. I don't know. It, yeah, it's funny he doesn't actually coin a term in relation to that right of like well, i think he intentionally doesn't coin a term because he himself yeah. says there's no way to really he just kind of says honestly kind of vague is the wrong word but not super specific stuff about like the way you deal with this is like grapple with it and like acknowledge it and try to like analyze it but i think he specifically doesn't like coin a term of like anti-slaverism <laughs> or something right because he's like there's no yeah. way to really like deal with it in the existing framework mm-hmm and that's why this is so mind-bending. <laughs> and he struggles with it, too. And dealing with it to be like, how do I deal with it outside of myself to look into myself and all our society? And then I could think about it. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. It's a meta theory. It's like, how do you think about the fourth dimension? Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. That's one, uh, it's one of those episodes where, you know, we always try to like, all right, what do we do? Next steps. What do we do? How do we handle this? It's one of those things that we just sort of have to like sit with. And not to say I was, like, trying not to record this episode, but it wasn't on my top list of priorities, you know, to think about <laughs> these things on a deep level. And reading these stories is just like, oh, that's just like when I was in elementary school. Oh, that's like when I was in high school. Oh, that's like when I moved over here. Oh, that's like when... And all these stories that, like, I've told them, but, like, they don't take up a lot of psychic space in my head. I don't grapple with them. It's just sort of internalized. Yep. And I just roll with it, you know? Something, and it's not to address this psychological phenomenon because I have no clue how to do that. I think you're right. You just sit with it. But I think uh, what we were talking about with state mechanisms of enforcement, I think we can encourage people, hey, don't call the police. Yeah. Don't call the police. We have to form alternative mechanisms to the police that don't, emulate this kind of relational dynamic if it's possible which well, i don't think it is <laughs> i think and part of it is he talks about the fact that like the junior partners the people of color and women 
that are not black and stuff like part of their redemptive arc and part of their um part of the reason they feel human is because of anti-blackness right and especially white people of course why we feel human is because of anti-blackness and it doesn't i don't think it solves it but i think part of it is we replicate other systems of oppression that are not just the, the slave master dynamic we replicate systems of sexism we replicate systems of classism we replicate systems of all kinds of things right and those systems are pushed to the side and like helped to exist by the existence of anti-blackness and like hey i'm a woman but i'm not black hey i'm gay but yeah, i'm not black you know yeah, so it's like yeah yeah hey i'm a worker but i'm not black yeah mm-hmm. right so it's like i feel like as we push to try to tear down these other systems as well i feel like it more kind of brings to the fore of like then they or i'm sorry when you start to tear out anti-blackness it starts to crumble all those other systems right because yep. it's like you don't have anybody to compare yourself to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm a worker but i'm also oh wait black people if they were made human like they're human so like what am i yeah like i'm just a worker fuck you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh there's no stepping stone you know what i mean you're just there like right. if that gets removed the anti-blackness gets removed out the whole situation it and what you said earlier Vic, about sort of the oppression oppressor dynamic and how oppressors are also pre- oppressed in a way as well I think, Jordan, you just outlined it, right? Because if you're a worker and you're like, well, I'm a worker, but at least I'm not black. Well, then I'm not going to fucking struggle against the capitalists for my own liberation from that system of oppression. So, yeah, yeah. Where, you know, it's important to think about and try to understand how we're in, we're participating in our own oppression. And this psychological tool is, is part of it. And like, and I keep thinking about it. I'm just like, oh, man, this is fucked up for black people. Oh, man, this is fucked up for white people. Like, just, like, reading it. As, like, you know, you're coming as a good faith leftist trying to be like, all right, let me just pick up this piece of text and see what it's all about. And it's fucking with your head. And it fucks with everybody's head. That's the whole thing on different. And now you're questioning yourself and your decisions and how you made them. And I hate to say it, but, like, if we're being true with ourselves, if we grew up here, these systems are reproduced in what, how we act and roll. Like, it is. Definitely. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow when you consider yourself a good fucking woke leftist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a tough pill to swallow. Tough. And I love the name of the podcast. Wait, why am I talking? Because we're a bunch of dudes who talk a lot, who think we know <laughs> a lot and everything about, mm-hmm. and I ain't no shit. If this goddamn book, huh? We stammered and barely spoke over each other, and we're so deliberate this episode, unlike any other episode we recorded, you know? It's uncomfortable, because it's personal. It's yeah. institutional and personal, dude. We have a master-slave uh, dynamic. That's fucking uncomfortable to read in a book and then think about and talk with your black... Because, like, it, it dehuman... I mean, yeah. by definition, dehumanizes yeah. our relationship. Yes. We can't have, like... Jesus Christ. Yeah, we can't have a relationship. It's certainly ego destroying. That's and as just a, great. As just a, great. Yeah. I'll need to fucking destroy our egos a little bit I more. Fe- I, I I hears you, but that doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't feel good in the moment, you know? Oh, yeah. And you're just crumbling down to be like, fuck, like I what do I know? I thought mm-hmm. I knew. <laughs> you know? I thought, yeah, I thought 
I thought this relationship was one way. I thought the things I was doing was, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely makes me think about my current and past actions in uncomfortable ways. But honestly, I'm glad you recommended this book, Vic, because you were the one that found it and read it. And we're like, hey, guys, we should talk about this on the pod. And you first explained the concept to us. And I was just like, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> you're talking about. I don't know what the hell do you mean. So I, I think we should definitely read it because I don't know what the hell. What? So I'm really glad we did it. Honestly, I, it is very illuminating and thought-provoking. Yeah. It's uncomfortable, but I, I'm trying to think of like how shitty it would be to have not read it just because it made me uncomfortable, you know? Yeah, no it's doubt. That's a good recommendation. Oh, this oh. sucks. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I always try to like lean into being uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. I was talking to Audrina about this, and I'm like, yo, yeah, I need to be checked. I need to be made uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. Yep. You know? That's right. But again, this subject right here is hella like fuck. Like almost like dreading how much how are we gonna talk about this? And then record it and then put it out there to and like what do these guys know about this shit? You know, why are they talking about <laughs> this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I hope. It's been instrumental and in introduced some people, at least made pique their curiosity. So you'll go read it and, and undergo the same yeah. experience we did. Like our words, we're, we're fucking dumbasses, honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand a lot of, I had to look up a lot of words in this book, quite honestly. I had to look up words. I still don't understand them all. While right. we were talking, I'm still glossing <laughs> words, literally. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking of like, you know, all those book recommendations that went around when, during the up the meeting, like, hey, everyone should read, everyone should read uh, what is it called? White Fragility. Yeah. And oh my gosh. It's so funny to like compare this to White Fragility. It's like the idea yeah. of reading like White Fragility is like little Bobby Afropessimism. Oh like, I'm going to be honest. I tried to read a, a White Fragility a while ago as part of a book club, and we all read maybe like one chapter, and we were like, we don't need to read this. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, let's not read this. <laughs> Uh, that's a great fucking way to wrap it up <laughs> yeah we should do all right compare and contrast white fragility and afro pessimism oh my god, oh my god. undergo that <laughs> well thanks for recommending the book Vic. this was no a good doubt. read out yeah, yeah. People to yes thank you i do have an i got a copy of the library too you can get it on audiobook it's around the author actually narrates the audiobook and it's really good mm-hmm. yeah. yes it is very good thanks for listening please be sure to subscribe and rate on your favorite podcast platform I'm Jordan. I'm Vic. And I'm Miles. And remember to ask yourself, wait, why, why am, am I, I talking? talking? Oh, ooh, ooh. All right. All right. All right. Good, good job, fellas.